Well, happy Mother's Day to all of you fantastic moms, and every one of you are like that. You can juggle more things at one time than any of us guys could ever dream of doing. Well, we're glad that you're here, glad that you brought your family here with you. And I'd like to ask all of you to do me a favor. Would you help me welcome our Southeast Campus, our microsites, and those who are watching online? Happy Mother's Day to each of you as well. Well, being a mom is a tough job. I don't know if you saw this article last week about the changes that happen to a woman during pregnancy. Now, we all know what happens, the physical changes, but they apparently discovered that there's actually changes that happen in a mom's brain during pregnancy. And what they, what they compare this to is like a spring cleaning. It's a spring cleaning that happens to your brain. It gets all of the clutter out so that when moms have a child, that they can actually, it enables them to interpret the needs and the emotions of their children in a very specific way. So if you grew up thinking that your mom had eyes behind her head, apparently there is scientific evidence that that is actually kind of true. I think... I think one of the words that best describes a mom is the word pressure. Because in a single day, moms become the nurturer, coach, cheerleader, taxi cab driver, arbitrator, psychologist, therapist, tutor, ER doc, a banker, a theologian, a chef, and a mind reader. So to all of our moms, our young moms, Grandmoms, stepmoms, single moms, stepmoms, empty nest moms, expectant moms, adoptive moms, foster moms, and moms-in-law. We just want to say God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. I'm going to have a special prayer for our moms at the end of my message, so I'm going to pray over our moms at that time. But today, we are concluding our series we've been calling Skeptics Wanted. And the reason that we felt like this series was so important is that there is a significant percentage of our country that is disconnecting from religion. In fact, 23% of Americans refer to themselves as the nuns. That on a, on a form, if you talk about what's your faith affiliation, almost one in four now mark none. That they have no faith affiliation at all. And we started off in this series talking about that you can't move away from God without moving towards something else. And so if you've stepped away from God, or if you've stepped away from Christianity, maybe it was because of an intellectual barrier, maybe there is some science teacher who told you that the Bible doesn't match up with science, or maybe it was this emotional barrier that you have these questions of why would a loving God allow suffering in this world? Perhaps your struggle with faith is based on a view of God that is not accurate. And so our encouragement from the very beginning was to take a step towards God, to take a next step. Then we talked about the reason that you can trust the Bible, that the Bible is reliable and there's a reason why we can trust it, but our faith is not based on a book. The entire Christian faith is based on a single event. It's the resurrection of Jesus. And if Jesus did indeed rise from the dead, then what he said in the Bible is true. In the Bible, this is not just an ancient document. The Bible is living and active. That's why when you come into a place like this, you feel like, man, God just spoke directly to me. That's because God's word is living and active. It can transform your thoughts and your emotions. 
And then last week, Mike Bro did a fantastic job of giving us compelling evidence for Jesus. And I think one of the bottom line evidences of Jesus is the life change that I've seen in so many people. So many of you have a story of life change that happened through Jesus Christ. It's one of the things that is just nothing short of supernatural. And all of our messages every week, they're always online. You can re-watch or you can watch a message that you missed on our website or through our mobile app that they are always there. But today, I want to conclude the series by answering the question, so what? What do I do with all of this? And how do we respond to the skeptics that are in our life? Now, if you're a skeptic, and I know that there are a lot of you here right now, that a lot of you, you're just like inside, you're like, I just feel skeptical about this whole thing. I'm not real sure about Christianity. I'm not real sure about God. Here's what you need to hear from me. Because here at the crossing, you can belong before you believe. You can come and get involved. You can be part of a small group. You can even serve at this place before you believe what we believe. And the reason that we've embraced this idea is because Jesus embraced this idea. Jesus invited people to follow him before they believed. In fact, his followers, the 12 disciples, they believed Jesus, and then they didn't believe and then they didn't know what to believe, and then they believed, and they changed the world. So if you've ever believed and stopped believing, then you fit the description of those who followed Jesus in the first century. And we will never draw a line in the sand and say, you don't belong until you believe. That Jesus invited people to follow him before they believed. So that's what we want to do. We want to invite you to follow Jesus. And you may not understand everything, but don't throw away a relationship with Jesus just because you don't have all the answers. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 13. Today, we're going to look at some words of Jesus that he spoke right before he died that I think is the greatest example of how to interact with a skeptic. Here's the setting of, of what happens in John 13. Is It's the Last Supper. Jesus knows that he is just a few hours away from dying on the cross. He knows that he's about to lay down his life for us. And he has the disciples in the upper room. And he wants to share them these last thoughts, these things that will be so important to them. And Jesus gives us a strategy to reach skeptics. Jesus gives us a strategy to reach people who don't, aren't quite sure about Jesus and the Christian faith. Here's what he says in John chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 33. He says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. Well, Jesus knows that it's his last night before he's crucified. The disciples don't know that, but they know that this is an important night. They know that there's something different about Jesus. And so they're all leaning in to hear what he's going to say. And he says, I'm going somewhere that you cannot come. And in a minute, Peter's going to speak up and he's going to say, what do you mean we can't come? Where you go, we go. Are you saying that I can't come? I mean, what do you mean by all this, Jesus? What are you saying? Verse 34, he says, a new command I give you. Now, this word new 
could also be translated an unusual or strange and odd or impractical command I give you. And now we know what comes after this. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. See, it doesn't really sound like a new command on the surface. Everyone's leaning in at this point to hear what Jesus says. And he says, love one another. They're like, that's it? That's not new, Jesus. I mean, we've heard that since we were growing up. That's in the Old Testament. But Jesus redefines it. Jesus says, I want you to love as I have loved you. It's a whole new standard. Verse 35, he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, everyone will know, not that you're religious, because that's not the goal. The goal is not for everybody to go, man, you're a really religious person. He says, no, everyone will know that you are my disciple. And it's not how much you know, Jesus says. He's talking to these guys. It's not a matter of, did you go to synagogue this week? You know, it's not a matter, did you, did you memorize all of the, the parts of the Bible? It's not even what you believe. The litmus test of a disciple is if you love one another. And then Peter raises his hand because this is the way Peter is. He's like, okay, Jesus, you got to explain some stuff to me. And Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter is if to saying, okay, that love thing is awesome, Jesus, but we want to know where you're going, you know, because we want to go with you. Peter, it's like, Peter, did you miss the whole point of what I just said? Did you not pick up any of this? Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. He's saying, Peter, a middle school girl is going to intimidate you tonight, and you're going to deny that you even knew me. It's like, I want you to do something harder than dying for me. I want you to love people in such a way that those who are on the outside looking in, those who don't feel like they're a part of all of this, that those people will say, I want to be a part of that. I want you to create a community that's defined by unconditional, do-anything kind of love. I want people to look and say, look at how they treat women. Look at how their women treat the men. Look at how they treat the sick and the poor and the children. I want to be part of that. See, Jesus gives us a strategy of how we begin to reach out to people who maybe are on the outside looking in, the people who are skeptical about faith. Let me tell you what the danger is for you and me. Here's the danger for us. See, it's the same as it was for Peter. Peter's like, oh, yeah, love, whatever, whatever. I, I just want to go where you're going. Here's the danger for us is we know these words so well, we're like, oh, okay, love. Is that all you're talking about? Just loving people? Okay, can we get to something deeper? And Jesus says, this is as deep as it gets. That the trademark of a follower is not how much you know. It's not how often you go to church. It's not how many Bible studies you attend. The world will know that you are a disciple of Jesus by the way that you love other people. 
If you want to know what Jesus meant, look at what Jesus did. See, if, if you hear these words, you go, okay, what did Jesus mean by this? You look at Jesus' life. In this circle on that night when Jesus is speaking those words is Matthew. And Matthew is a tax collector. And everyone hated tax collectors because he was a traitor. He stole from the people. Growing up, the other disciples would have been told, you don't hang out with people like that. We don't, we don't associate with those kind of people. And Jesus calls Matthew to follow him. And the first thing that Matthew does is he throws a party for all of his friends. And Jesus goes to the party. Guess who all those friends were? It was the rest of the outcasts. It was the rest of the people who didn't fit in. The disciples are walking up to his house going, I don't even know if we should go in. You know, Mama Ted, we should never go into a house like this. What are we doing, Jesus? Jesus encountered all kinds of skeptics. In John chapter 3, there was a skeptic who came to Jesus in the middle of the night. And the reason that he came in the middle of the night is he didn't want anyone to know that he was coming to Jesus to talk to him. And Jesus tells this guy, Jesus tells him, his name was Nicodemus, he says, I've not come to condemn the world. I've come to save the world. Nathaniel, who, who had become one of the 12 disciples, his brother says, you need, to, you need to see Jesus. He's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel goes, does anything good come out of Nazareth? And his brother just says, you come and see. Because if you hang around Jesus for a little while, it'll change your life. Thomas doubted the resurrection. Some of you, maybe you doubt the resurrection. Thomas doubted the resurrection, one of the 12 disciples. And Jesus invites him. He says, I want you to touch my hands. Feel the, the scars from the nails. You touch my side. You feel where the spear went in. You investigate the resurrection for yourself. What Jesus says to you is, man, investigate it. To the woman who had been married five times and is living with the man that she's not married to. Jesus says, I can give you living water. I can give you something that lasts beyond this life. Jesus encountered a notorious thief by the name of Zacchaeus. And Jesus goes to have dinner at his house, which means that he accepted him just as he was. To the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, considered unclean, she touches Jesus and Jesus says, your fate has made you well. See, Jesus met every single person at their place of need. And Jesus said, here's, here's this brand new commandment. As I have loved you, so you love one another. Leonard Sweet, who's an author, he calls this the platinum rule. See, we all know the golden rule. The golden rule is, you know, treat others as you would want to be treated. That's the golden rule. Jesus talked about the golden rule. Jesus actually, he, he redefined the golden rule for the people because originally it was don't do unto others as you don't want to have done unto you. And Jesus changed it around. He goes, no, no, I want you to do to others as you would have them do to you. But the platinum rule, see, is completely different because the golden rule says love as you want to be loved. The platinum rule says love as Jesus would love. This is why Jesus calls it a new command. This is why it's a new command, because the golden rule places me at the center, that I treat people the way that I want to be treated. That's a good thing. But the platinum rule, it places Jesus at the center, that I love you the way that Jesus would love you. It's a higher standard. This 
is how we begin to reach skeptics in our lives. This is how. Let me just give you the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. Is that Jesus is better experienced than explained. That Jesus is better experienced than explained. I can't explain everything. You come in here and you have questions. I can't explain every scientific question that you might have. I may not be able to explain why you're going through what you're going through, why you're facing suffering at this time. But I can help you experience Jesus by the way that I love you and the way that I serve you. And that is what gives the gospel credibility. I want to get real practical. I want to get real practical because, because talking to a skeptic just seems awkward. And we don't know how to start spiritual conversations. And so we try. And so usually the way we start spiritual conversations, it, it just feels awkward. It's like this. You know, you're out with your friends. You know, you're going to a show on the strip. And somebody says, you know, I can't believe all the casinos are charging for parking these days. And you say, you know who doesn't charge for parking? My church. You ought to come with me on Sunday. It just feels awkward. Well, I want to give you some cues on knowing when to make an invitation. When to make an invitation to an unchurched person or to a skeptic to help start that spiritual conversation to take that next step. These come from Andy Stanley. I heard these several years ago, and they are so helpful. They're just called the three knots. Here's number one. When things are not going well. When things are not going well. See, when this comes up in a conversation, this is a cue for you. Then my health is not going well. My marriage is struggling. I have a child that's in trouble. My business is not good. We are just barely hanging on. When you hear this, this is a cue. Because in this moment, a skeptic doesn't care if God created the world or not. When things are not going well, you have the opportunity to help them experience Jesus. And this is a cue. This is a cue to start a spiritual conversation. This is a cue to invite them to services when things are not going well. You just go, I know what it's like in my life when things are not going well. Let me tell you what's helped me. And you start that conversation when things are not going well. Here's number two. When you're not prepared for something. When you're not prepared for something. You hear this all the time. You know, when somebody becomes a first-time parent, you just don't feel prepared. You know, we have all of these parents on stage dedicating their babies, and so many of them, this is their first one, and they don't feel prepared for this. I remember when we brought my son home from the hospital for the first time, our firstborn, I thought we were going to break him. I mean, you just kind of hold him. You just hope everything's going to be okay. I mean, you're up all night long. Every move they make, you know, are you still breathing? You know, and you wake them up like, yeah, I am now. And they start crying. You know, you want to bubble wrap everything because you, know, you want to protect them. It's, it's those moments where you feel like you're not prepared for something. Maybe you, you move to your kids to a new school, which is a good thing, but you just don't feel prepared for all the changes that it brings on. This is a cue. When someone is entering a new season of their life, it's an open door to invite them to church. See, in this moment, they don't care whether the Bible is inspired or not. They just need help. They just need somebody to help them. See, number one, number one is things are not going well. Number two, 
was there in a season of life that they're not prepared for. It's perfect for an invitation. Here's number three. When you're not in church. Someone who's not in church. This is when you talk to somebody, maybe they're new to the area. Maybe they just moved into town or maybe they're into your neighborhood and they don't know anyone. This is, an, this is a, a cue. Invite them to church. Invite them to come to your small group. Because they can belong before they believe. And if they go, I don't even know if I believe all that stuff, that's okay. Now, you, you can come anyway. See, these are cues. Then when we begin to hear this, it's an invitation to start a spiritual conversation with the skeptic. It's an invitation to invite someone who is unchurched to church. Things are not going well. We're not prepared for and not in church. That we begin to listen for these things because Jesus is better experienced than explained. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know all the Bible verses. You don't have to have them all down. You just have to be willing to show up in someone's life and take the opportunity to love them and to serve them in the name of Jesus. Last weekend, we had 100 guys who went to Mexico to build houses. 100 guys from the crossing. We built seven houses for seven needy families. Let me just... It's pretty amazing. And let me tell you, it's because of the generosity of the crossing that that was able to happen. Because the crossing was able to pay for all seven of those houses for those people because of your giving. Let me tell you about the family that I got to serve. Because our seven, our seven crews, we served seven different families. We had single moms. We had big families, small families. This was the family that, that my team got to serve. On the, on the left, this is Maria. She's the mom. They have four kids together. Maria's story is she began to tell us that, um, that Maria, she was abused growing up. She ended up getting married to her husband at 14. She had their first child at 15 years old. Talking about struggling. She was with us the whole time. She was painting. She was cooking for us. I mean, she was cooking us authentic Mexican food as she came along. But she just began to share her story and the blessing that this was because this is their house. This is where they've been living. This is their house for a family of six. And you look at that and you go, I don't get this. But the poor in Mexico, they don't have access to loans. And so for a family that maybe makes $50, $60, $70 a week, what would you be living in if you had to pay cash for everything that you had? If you had to pay cash for your place that you're living in right now, this is what they have. They just try to put things together, tarps and sheets, just to cover them up from the elements. Well, we got the opportunity to serve this family and to pour into them. We had the opportunity to just show them what Jesus is all about, and we got to dedicate this house to them last Saturday. This house has two bedrooms. We had beds, so now there's a bedroom for the mom and dad and a bedroom for the kids that we gave them beds. It had a kitchen area with a table and, the, um, and dishes for the entire family, a refrigerator and a stove and a living area all there. This is what we were able to leave them with. See, when you become the hands and the feet of Jesus, the gospel gains credibility and the message of Jesus moves forward. So if you're a skeptic right now, let me just speak to you for just a minute. You can belong before you believe. 
You can belong before you believe. You don't have to believe everything. Just take a step towards Jesus. Because I just believe that when you get close to Jesus, it changes your life. Just take that next step. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, Jesus is better experienced than explained. When we become the hands and the feet of Jesus, it changes lives. When we love people the way that Jesus loved them, it changes them. Well, I want to speak to all of you moms here. You don't have the same struggles as Maria there in Mexico, but you have your own struggles. There is a burden that you carry that few people know. There is a burden that just hangs over you that most people have no idea what you deal with. And I want to close with a prayer for you. It's a prayer that I try to pray over our moms every Mother's Day. Because what you do, it matters. Those moments that nobody knows about, they matter. Every season of your life, God is with you. And I just want to pray over you. I just want to pray a blessing on you. So I just want to ask if we can just bow our heads and let's pray together. Let me pray for you moms. God, thank you for the gift of our moms. We pray for young moms and tired moms. Those unsure of whether they're doing it right. For the moms who struggle with depression today, God, encourage them. We pray for older moms whose days of raising kids are past, but whose kids are never going to be far from their hearts. God, bring them joy and a job well done. We pray for stepmoms who have stepped into a role that can be both challenging and rewarding. God, be with them. We pray for single moms, those moms who work hard without the support of a partner. God, be their provider and strength. We pray for mothers today whose husbands and kids have been called away to serve in the armed forces. Fill them with your presence. We pray for moms with special needs children. For moms with wayward and rebellious children. Kids who are in trouble. God, be their strength. We pray for foster moms and spiritual moms and mentor moms. We pray for those moms who have opened up their home through adoption. God, we pray for all of those who may have lost a mom recently, that you would fill them with your presence. We pray for those whose hearts break today because they're unable to become mothers, who have longed for and prayed for children. God, fill them with your unmistakable sense of purpose. And we pray for our moms who have buried a child, who have miscarried children, who had adoptions fall through. We pray that you would comfort their grief, that you are a God who is close to the brokenhearted. God, thank you for our moms. Thank you for the significance that they are in our lives, that the way that they have been these spiritual conduits for us. 
So God, be with them. Bless them. We pray this in the name of Jesus.